We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. This is Metroscope, an Intercom Portland Public Affairs program. I'm Preston Highfield. Joining us this time is Dr. Kristen Collins. Dr. Collins is board certified in both pediatrics and adolescent medicine. She attended the Baylor College of Medicine and continued studies and work at the Texas Children's Hospital. She's been a specialist in the Portland area for 28 years and is excited by opportunities to improve children's health care and enjoys her involvement with regional professional pediatric organizations and teaching at OHSU. Hey, welcome, and thanks for being here today. Thank you, Preston. I'm excited to talk today. Absolutely. So you're here today to talk to us a bit about your area of expertise, which is adolescent health. And right off the top, um, I think you know maybe most listeners uh, know in general what that would encompass, but uh, can you give us your uh, perspective of, of what exactly that means, adolescent health? Well, um, the those rocky years where uh, kids become teenagers are um, challenging for anyone, and some people think of children as little big people. But what we know is kids have their own needs and adults have their own needs, and more and more we're understanding that teenagers have their own needs. They think in a different way, and therefore they act in a different way, and they can... Um, basically get themselves into some pretty sticky situations. Um, so there is a specialty among the uh, uh, medical groups in the U.S. and in Europe specializing in those uh, unique things that teenagers have. Uh, in my training, I um, got to see uh, Adolescents on chemotherapy and adolescents in a drug use setting and adolescents that were homeless and living on the street and adolescents that were at a football game uh, where um, my group was the team doctor. So it's all-encompassing for those things that teenagers experience during those years. We usually think about from 11 to early 20s. Okay. Well, thank you for that explanation. And you're obviously an industry veteran and someone who has uh, worked with uh, a variety of uh, adolescents in different capacities, different uh, stages of their life and under different health conditions. Can you talk to us a bit about just kind of how you were inspired to start to work in the healthcare industry and then uh, how that eventually uh, steered towards the path that you've been on now working with uh, children and teens? I can't tell you there was one moment, light bulb moment, where I decided I wanted to go into medicine, but in my family, we have quite a few scientists, and it just always seemed like a natural fit for me. Um, I've I'm drawn to medicine because it's a really nice balance of some science and some fact, but also this communication and uh, engagement that you have with families. Um, the, I guess they talk about the art of medicine, so you can um, computerize a lot of it and robot it out, in which case you might get to some good diagnosis from time to time. But helping people move through their health involves um, uh, connecting with them and being able to communicate. And I think it's that balance between the two that stimulates me the most. You've been in Portland for close to three decades, is that correct? 
Oh, no. Now the way you say that, it sounds a little intimidating, Preston. But yes, I have been here for, we moved to Portland in 1991, love the area, and uh, have made it my home. Awesome. And I know our uh, you know, local listeners certainly uh, love to hear someone who can offer a local perspective. So you teach at OHSU, uh, and you're, you're heavily involved with Metropolitan Pediatrics. Is that correct? Metropolitan Pediatrics is my uh, my home. That's where my clinic is. Okay. Um, I do lectures at OHSU. I do some training in medical student um, education. Uh, I also work with a couple other groups, the Oregon Pediatric Society and Children's Health Alliance. Uh, I enjoy uh, two things. I enjoy the stimulation of those groups and they, the fact that they challenge me. But I think we have a theme that I like to talk and I like to be around people. And it is so exciting to collaborate with doctors from all over our metropolitan area. Um, there's some really good work happening in, um, in the Portland area. And uh, all these groups give me that opportunity to reach out and connect. And I was on your website, metropediatrics.com, and learning a, a bit more about that organization. And just to kind of bring in uh, the local tie here, uh, you guys have nearly 40 providers with locations in Gresham, Happy Valley, Northwest Portland, uh, and Beaverton. And could you just uh, speak to a bit more just about your organization and how it was founded? I read it was founded, I believe, in the late 90s, but uh, just kind of bringing in um, <clears throat> that local tie here. Yeah. Well, Metropolitan Pediatrics has actually, <clears throat> in various forms, been around for longer than that. There were changes in the healthcare uh, uh, environment in the Portland area that uh, created a reorganization. And um, from um, sort of the beginnings of managed care uh, came this wonderful organization. And it was originally two clinics, which became four, which will soon become six because this group is expanding into um, two other areas in, in um, the metropolitan uh, region. Um, I, I actually have not spent my entire career at, at Metropolitan, but I've joined this clinic because it's a really strong group of uh, physicians who are completely committed to the care of children. Uh, our mission statement uh, rings clear through everything that the group does. Um, it is dynamic in that it, it tries to be at the forefront of those changes that uh, are improving children's health. Um, one, of the, or one of the projects that I'm involved with is this concept of resilience and how critical it is toward children's health. And um, the, there are pediatricians from probably 10 practices in Portland that are uh, involved with that but uh, the Metropolitan has really embraced it and are um, adding it into their daily workflows. So at almost all well visits, I will talk to families about how to make, how to make their children more resilient, how for kids to get their bounce when adversity happens. And it's uh, just a joy to work with a group of physicians who focus um, primarily on a child's health, and um, uh, we can collaborate so well together. Awesome. And again, this is Dr. Kristen Collins joining us. She is board certified in both pediatrics and adolescent medicine. She's been an expert in the Portland area for 28 years. So that was great background about kind of where you work and the organizations you're involved with. And now let's discuss uh, what you do on a, on a daily basis and what 
these, I guess, new uh, health and scientific developments you've kind of been practicing over the years. And uh, you said something earlier, which was a lot, which is very interesting to me, which was that uh, we understand who children are, we understand who adults are, but uh, teens go through a lot in terms of brain development and I guess, well, obviously tons of different development uh, in the health area over their teen years. But talk to us a bit about teen brain changes, uh, if you could, and just kind of how that uh, arises. Uh, and when you're speaking with a family or with maybe a teen uh, himself or herself, what that conversation's like. And you're obviously an expert uh, in adolescent health. That's what you've been doing for decades and just kind of how that all first comes up uh, in a doctor's appointment. Uh, well, it's it's a great question. And um, it's, this is a process that's evolved. Uh, as we talked about earlier, I uh, do uh, teaching at OHSU. And in the process of that, we've uh, worked hard to train um, future physicians at how to in- interview a teenager. Um, of course, once you do that, you stand up there in front of a group of people and you need to look like an expert, so you have to have a clue, and you start to analyze what you do. Um, and we know a lot about adolescent uh, psychological development because of what's happening to the brain. Uh, when we're uh, an infant, our brain is growing and developing. And then somewhere between 8, 9, and 10, we have a pretty sophisticated brain. It can do a lot of great things. All you've got to do is watch a 10-year-old navigate, and uh, they're pretty talented. But there's a big difference between a 10-year-old brain and an adult brain. Recently, uh, maybe over the past 5, 10, 15 years, science has been able to understand that much of the neurologic, those neurons that are laid down in the brain, they are being reworked. The term in my line of business is called adolescent brain pruning. Just like you go out and cut a few branches off of a tree to give it better shape later, the body goes in and removes parts of the brain and then rebuilds so that it's a newer, faster model. Uh, it's all fascinating to me, and I can go on about <laughs> this, And but it's scary. It's scary, this concept that all of a sudden a brain that was working suddenly gets um, you know, whacked at. The, the body eliminates up to a third of the brain in this process. Um, what happens is a sophistication and a growing. So when you prune a tree, you open up new areas to develop further, and that's exactly what's happening in a teen brain. So for some reason, the body decides to go in there and hack part of it out, opening new areas, and then it goes back and adds layers of insulation so this new brain suddenly is so much more sophisticated and more capable that it can think in ways that its 10-year-old brain couldn't. So you can tell as I talk about that, it's, that's a little... Um, long-winded. Mm-hmm. And um, when I've tried to explain this to parents, I have a parent maybe coming in the room and they're so frustrated and can't understand why their teen is so emotional and not thinking logically like they did last year. And I will go into this concept of pruning and parents are interested for about 20 seconds. And then, <laughs> and then, and then the problem's still there seconds, and they're like, hey, right. make the problem go away. Exactly, because parents really want answers. And the problem is, while the brain is growing and developing, you just simply have to wait. You can't change it. You can't make it going faster. Uh, so as the, 
as I've been doing lecturing and talking to people, I kind of came up with this analogy of the adolescent brain under construction. And what is one of the most frustrating things that we experience in our day-to-day life that's under construction? It's road construction, right? And so bit by bit, as we started talking about it and talking to families and talking to other uh, scientists and medical providers, we've, I've kind of stumbled on this way of describing the brain as um, going from your favorite two-lane highway to now some amazing superhighway. So when you're talking to families and they need to wrap their head around how to engage their teenager, it helps for them to understand the emotions that their teen's feeling and their own personal emotions that they're feeling. Imagine one day you're going down your two-lane highway, and they've gone down it forever, and then there's a big sign saying road construction is going to start in three weeks. Uh, it's happened to me. I bet it's happened to you. But I kind of think, ooh, this is going to be a little bad, but it'll be fine. I try to be optimistic. And then one day, you're late to work, you've got your coffee that you're trying to navigate, and you turn around the corner, and all of a sudden, there's that flagger, that big barricades, they're all orange, the flagger's in their yellow outfit, and they've got that road sign, not on slow, but on stop. The entire city of Portland's freaking out. Sorry. Right. <laughs> exactly. We all know because it's just so hard. And so with families, I can go on about imagine how you feel one day when you're late and you're frustrated and you you don't know what to do and all of a sudden it wants to the the freeway wants to redirect you to a detour. How often are detour signs actually complete? Right. <laughs> how many times have you been on a detour and you're like, "Now, now where am I supposed to turn now?" Like, why am I not? Why am I in the middle of this farm? And so what we have is that's exactly the analogy that's happening to teenagers. So two things can happen. You you can talk to a teenager and say, you know, some days you're just having a really hard day. And it's probably because you're in this middle of the farm and there's no sign to tell you which way to go and you're trying to find your way out. All the while, your parents are going, blah, 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 blah. And you can't process that information because your brain's on hold right now. It is a and, fantastic <laughs> analogy by you. Yeah, and then the 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 converse is true, or the, the the other side of it's true. The parents are looking at their teenager and feel like they're going blah 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 blah. They may make perfect sense, but that road does not go through. And so uh, the strength of the analogy is. Uh, check your emotions at the door. <laughs> so you cannot make that freeway be built any faster than it's going to be. All the road rage in the world is only going to get you in trouble, right? And uh, the way, especially for conversations around radio, I think you just sit back, turn the radio up, and enjoy the view. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> um, I have to laugh. I was talking, I was sharing with a family yesterday that I was going to be doing this today and talking about my beleaguered voice here. And uh, I mentioned it a little bit to mom, and she remembered me talking about it at a previous visit, and she had heard then subsequent conversations around the concept of adolescent pruning. And just being able to get a little sense of what might be happening in the brain allowed her to pause and just sit back and not 
be as frustrated with her son. Um, then she related that she was just absolutely amazed. She knew she had to have patience. She waited, and he is a far more capable person than she ever thought he could be on the end, on the other end of this. But then she turned over and looked at her 13-year-old, and she said, now I'm here with this one. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do it all over again. Hey, do it Gotta all take over the again. Detour all over. How did you come up with that uh, analogy? Were you, did you go on a wrong detour? Did you take a wrong way one day, or how did that happen? <laughs> Oh, uh, first of all, I did all my training in Houston. And so Houston, you need to be a very aggressive driver to survive. Oh. And so, um, you know, I, I can be a little emotional behind the wheel. Um, but all my years in Portland, Portland tends to have relatively sedate drivers. <laughs> <laughs> At least they did when I first Oh, no, it. that's, that's, a, that's a, I, think, I think you are very spot on with that. Yeah, what is it? The you go, no you go, yes. uh, Portland mode. Anyway, so um, I have learned to check my emotion uh, with a flagger, and somewhere along the way, uh, the light bulb clicked, and these two align really very, very well. No, it's it's well done by you. Is this a uh, is this a topic that comes up a lot in these uh, appointments that you have with families? I mean, I, I know you mentioned that. I guess the um, scientific development and the research development uh, behind this whole concept of teenage brain changes has really kind of skyrocketed in the last five or ten years or so. I, th I believe that's what you're alluding mm -hmm. to earlier. Yeah. Uh, so is that is that, I mean, is this kind of a newer conversation topic um, among pediatricians that they have with their patients? How, I mean, or is this something that's been going on for a long time or are we becoming more aware of it in the last five or ten years? Yeah, I think there there is an increased awareness, uh, not only um, of what's happening in the teenage brain, but the fact that we really have to teach uh, we have to take care of and engage teenagers in a different way. You know, uh, there's some old saying that I can't remember from somewhere that says you should just bury kids at 10 and then dig them up when they're 20 and it'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but it isn't because what's happening in that teenage brain is really important. If we don't take care of teens and help them develop in a healthy way, we have a whole society that doesn't know how to manage um, fear, anger, uh, stress, etc. And so so as there's an increasing awareness of um, these processes, you can reach out to anybody who engages teenagers, whether it's parents or uh, an employer, ex teachers, and and help them understand that just shaking your hands and stomping your feet isn't going to make that teenager um, uh, behave or work in a more effective way. Um, uh, I, I've given this lecture quite a bit. Um, uh, I, I was actually asked to write this up for the Children's Health Alliance by a person who had heard it when they were in training. So definitely there's an increased awareness, uh, not only in Portland area, because I'm just one of many, many talented um, adolescent health providers who are out there spreading this word. Um, Time Magazine has done articles on this. National Geographic has. New York Times. So um, I think it's in the it's it's becoming a common understanding in the uh, general public that this is what's happening. Um, 
how I would engage this in the office is I usually start around 12 or 13 and just let parents know that something's about to change. And um, we um, let them know that there may be times that it's frustrating. Uh, we then reiterate it at those visits at 13 and 14 and 15. Um, plus, the in addition to well visits, I see an awful lot of kids in the middle of very thorny situations. And I see parents who handle it gracefully, and I see parents who feel that if they just yell and stomp their feet more, it's going to get better. So this is the analogy I use to help them understand that pounding on that steering wheel is not going to make this process go any better. And what's what's kind of the general reaction that you get in feedback? You said they're interested for about 20 seconds. Oh, now if I try to talk about it in scientific phase, uh, like talking about gray matter and brain insulation and yeah. rewiring, no, that only lasts about 20 minutes. But if I, use the, if I use the analogy more as road construction, parents relate. They uh-huh. listen more. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and I think it's because it's something that we can all identify with. Um, uh, you know, logic and uh, scientific facts do not have the power of emotion. Um, I don't know that I can say that this topic is sexy, but if we can put emotion in it, we can engage it more. We, uh, we incorporate it more. Honestly, though, after about two or three minutes in talking about this, parents still will stop and look at me and say, that's all really interesting. Now, what am I supposed to do today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then you have to translate what patience looks like at home. The yeah. other thing that's really important about adolescent brain development is it's a use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think about this as the toll bridge. If people don't go across the toll bridge and pay for it, then it, it never never gets paid for. But um, it's really important to continue to engage adolescents in a calm and healthy way so that their brain knows how to deal with that. If we ignore teenagers, they have a mind of their own and they end off in the weeds in unhealthy ways. Or if we're always screaming at teenagers, then they become angry and defensive and develop those unhealthy patterns in response to stress later. So I frequently will then break it down into day in, day out. What do you got to do to get through it? Okay. Yeah, that was going to be kind of my final question as we wrap up here with Dr. Kristen Collins, who's kind enough to join us, an expert on adolescent health, uh, was, yeah, what do you tell uh, the teenagers who are going through these brain changes and then yeah, you had mentioned it earlier uh, and kind of just there as well. But in terms of the feedback you give uh, for parents who are raising teens, which is practicing patience and uh, I guess different patient techniques on a day-to-day basis. Well, the short answer in keeping with, for parents, the short answer in keeping with the analogy is, you know, to be calm. Pounding on that steering wheel doesn't make it go any faster. And I also uh, try to get them to not rush it, but Take a moment before they react to a teenager. If something's not going well and they're finding their own blood pressure coming up, to pause and step away from the situation, collect yourself, and come back at it. Um, very frequently, I encourage parents to write things down, to um, to engage their teenager in, uh, in the process and then say, all right, I need you to go write down your points and I'm going to write down my points. That way we can go over them together. Teens have the opportunity to collect themselves and reapproach a situation um, when things are written down. Um, it's incredibly important to be positive and supportive. Um, when a teenager's brain is going through this process, they're not able to think with logic as clearly, but their emotional center, their amygdala, 
is working great. And so what happens is we get to see teenagers looking like they're just a ball of raw emotion, and it's kind of true. So parents, uh, when they start to see this emotional overloading, can take their deep breath and pull back and find ways to re-engage. Um, the other critical thing that's parent- important for parents is they've got to have their own uh, support system because you can't cuddle up with your 13-year-old like you used to be able to cuddle up with your 3-year-old. And that's sad. And it's hard to wait for a teenage brain to develop, and it's hard to be sure that it's going to be better later on. So parents need to connect with other people. As for talking to teenagers about this, um, you know, I talk to them a little bit about it, but three-quarters of the time they look at me like I'm clueless because... I mean, how on earth are, uh, is, uh, am I, if I'm Joe Smith, how, is, how does this doctor have any idea what's going on in my brain? Because I'm unique, special, and fabulous. <laughs> yes. And so I usually just hint a little bit about it. There's a lot going on. Remember that you're, you think and behave differently than you did when you were two or eight. And uh, these things will happen. They've happened to everybody. I encourage teenagers to go talk to their grandparents if they have them to find out all the crazy stuff that their teenage that, that their parents did when they were teenagers uh-huh. <laughs> um, because it's a little more relatable. Um, and Parents also... want to keep that under wraps, though. They don't want to give their kids any perm- permission to do anything <laughs> crazy. Well, this is the, this is why you know one of the things that's so important in the doctor patient relationship with a teenager is to have privacy. So, yeah. uh, but I always direct people back to a healthy family source. But um, but uh, the other thing for teenagers is to for them to also pause and take a break when they're feeling a lot of emotion, whether they think this stuff is happening to them or not. That by taking that pause, they can collect themselves and. Um, be a little better when they take another stab at a situation. The other thing that I love to rub in their face is that in the use it or lose it scenario, it means that you can't do video games 24-7 if you want to be able to do anything with your brain later. Mm. <laughs> and so I encourage teens to say this is why it's important to have face-to-face conversations, etc. Awesome. Well, Dr. Collins, thank you so much for coming on. Great, great, great analogy, uh, great insight, and we could probably talk, you could certainly talk for a, a lot longer, and uh, we appreciate you uh, sharing all of that information here in the in the brief time we had with you today. So thanks again for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. This is such a great opportunity to uh, share, share a little wisdom with families. We were talking today with Dr. Kristen Collins, who is board certified in both pediatrics and adolescent medicine. Metroscope is an Intercom Portland Public Affairs program. I'm Preston Highfield. If you're involved with a nonprofit or public affairs organization, or if you have an idea for an upcoming show, I'd like to hear from you. Visit MetroscopePDX.com and submit your ideas. You can also go to this station's website and submit your information there. Thanks for listening to Metroscope and enjoy the rest of your weekend.